0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The word of the Lord that I invite you to meditate upon with me at this time this morning served as our gospel lesson taken from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. And so we begin in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our peace and who is our security in this life and the next." I roomed with this individual for one year in high school, four years in college, and two years in seminary. So after seven years of being roommates together, um, you would guess that we knew each other quite well, that I knew my roommate's likes and dislikes, his personality, and his abilities. But my senior year at seminary, as I walked through the basement of the dormitory, I heard someone playing a four-part hymn on the piano. And I walked through, and I peeked in the room, and there was my roommate Mike playing the piano, playing it well. I knew he played the saxophone. I had no idea he could play the piano. And then several years after we graduated, we had been in ministry, I saw that he had accepted a call into Hispanic ministry. So I sent him an encouraging email and said, The Lord bless you as you take Spanish courses. He replied back to me, It should take a couple of weeks to brush up. Who knew? I roomed with the man seven years and did not know he could speak fluent Spanish. Spanish. And so sometimes we don't know people as well as we think we do. Raise your hand if you've known Jesus your whole life. If you're like me, you don't remember not knowing Jesus. He's been a part of our lives from day one, and so we feel that we know Jesus quite well. Peter assumed the same thing in our lesson today. He had sat at Jesus' feet for three years. He followed Jesus for three years, seeing his miracles, listening to his words. And if you would have asked Peter, you would say, I know Jesus well. But so that Peter and the rest of his followers might know him better, Jesus asked this question of them Who do people say I am? They replied with a list. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others another prophet. In other words, people were saying Jesus is a messenger of God. Is that incorrect? It's absolutely true, isn't it? Jesus himself said, these words you hear are not my own. They come from the Father who sent me. And the masses in our world today would agree that Jesus is a messenger sent by God, a great man, a good leader, a good example for the rest of us to follow. Is knowing that about Jesus, knowing enough about Jesus? Jesus didn't think so. So he asked, his inner circle, his disciples, and he said, Who do you say I am? Peter immediately blurted out, You are the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Well, the Messiah is that promised serpent crusher, the restorer the one who rescues, the one whom God had promised who would put man and God, the holy God, back together in unity once again. And Peter was right for calling Jesus the Messiah. But how would Jesus accomplish that work of restoring sinful human beings to a holy God? Jesus declared, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. After spending three years with Jesus, this was news to Peter, horrifying news, terrible news. This message tore at Peter's heart. First of all, because he loved Jesus, and the thought of Jesus dying would break his heart, would fill him with sadness and grief. But there's more to it than that. The fact that Jesus would have to suffer and die to restore sinners to God meant that Peter's relationship with the Lord was horrifically damaged. Now what does it mean when your general practitioner doctor, your family doctor tells you, you need to see an oncologist about the mole on your back? He's saying that mole is cancerous, and unless you do something about it, it's going to be deadly. When Jesus said... To Peter and his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer and die. He was speaking very clearly about just how terrible sin really is. And how just, and how awful our condition is. The fact that the Messiah must suffer and die to restore us to God means that our little snippets of gossip aren't so innocent. It means that the thought of wanting to wring someone's neck is just as damnable as actually doing it. It means that we are so far separated from God that we can't even do one thing to bring ourselves back to Him. And that the cost is so high, the payment so expensive, that it requires the life of the Son of God to cover it. That struck at the heart of Peter. So much so that Peter said to Jesus, No, this can't be. And so the fact that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and die speaks to you and it speaks to me. And it shows us what we really are in the eyes of God objects of his anger. There's more. The Son of Man must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. Those words not only tell us something about ourselves, they tell us something about our Savior. They tell us something about Jesus, don't they? That he was willing to endure the wrath of God, the anger of God that was yours and mine to endure. When is the last time you chose? To shoulder someone else's shame for their lying, for their cheating, and for their self-centeredness. Have you done that recently? Have you taken the fall for somebody else willingly? Would you be willing to suffer the death penalty in the place of someone who hated you That's exactly what Jesus came to this earth to do for you and for me. The fact that the Messiah will suffer and die and rise again impresses on you and me the love that he has for us. Gladys is 40 years old, and for as long as she can remember, she has known Jesus. She's one of the people with whom we shared the gospel when I was a part of the mission team this past week in Liberia. Professor Sorum had been sharing the story of the prodigal son, the parable spoken by Jesus. And after he had shared the parable, she asked him, how can I know that the Father will accept me? How can I know And so he explained to her the cross of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished there for her, that she wasn't just partially restored to God, she was fully restored to God, not just partially forgiven, fully forgiven. And then he had one of the men who was sitting there in the classroom stand up, and he said to Gladys, that man represents you, and I represent God. And he says, this is what it will be like when you arrive at heaven. And he ran to the man and he swept his arms around him, gave him a huge bear hug and lifted him off the ground. And at that, Gladys buried her head in her hands and she cried and she cried and she cried. For the first time in her life, she really knew Jesus. She really knew his love And for the first time in her life, she was certain that her father would accept her when she left this world. Brothers and sisters, God has done the same for you. Jesus' love for you is so high, so deep, so wide, that he has laid down his all to make you his own. And you are not just partially restored to God, you are fully God's. And as he will welcome Gladys, so he will welcome you in his presence. Know that about Jesus. Know that. And put aside any fear you have that God is somehow going to leave you out in the cold on the last day. Through faith in Jesus, you are his own. Brothers and sisters, it is that love of God that is transformative. It transformed Gladys, and it transforms us. For you see, when Jesus came to this earth, his life was not about himself, was it? It was about his Father, it was about you, and it was about me. And when we see the love of Christ, when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we really understand Jesus, when we really know him, then our perspective changes too. And our lives are no longer about ourselves. Our lives are about Jesus and about others. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. The greatest treasure you have or I have is that peace with God that is ours through the love of Jesus. If we let go of it for any reason, for anything else in this world, we let go of life with God forever. And it is for that reason that Jesus says following him means taking up our cross too. Not just acknowledging the cross of Jesus, but the cross that we're going to have to carry as well. And those crosses come in all shapes and sizes. When I was in my eighth grade year of school, my oldest brother and I shouldered the bulk of the chores on our family farm because the two brothers between us were attending Wells Prep Schools. My oldest brother is five years my elder. And he struggles mightily with anger management. From mid-August to May, there was rarely a day that went by when I did not get slugged or slapped or body slammed to the concrete. And one time it left me unconscious. Now some might say, that is my cross. It is not. This is my cross. That each day I deny the desire of my sinful flesh, that I say no to that desire to hate his guts and to never speak to him again. But each day I look to the cross of Jesus, and as Jesus has forgiven me, I forgive him. There is seldom a day that goes by when something does not trigger one of those awful memories from those nine months. But I take up my cross and I deny myself to follow Jesus. How? How? Because I was privileged to attend a Lutheran school like ours where each day the teachers and the pastor upheld Jesus and his cross before my eyes so that I knew Jesus and I knew him well. And that I could be confident of his love and because of his love, forgive my brother. Each of you has your scars from things people have said and done to you. And your flesh wants you to put aside the cross of Jesus and his love and to act out in bitterness and hate and to hold on to it. But to do that is to give up eternity. Is to give up the love of Jesus. And so Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him. And you do that by looking to his cross. This supper today takes us there, doesn't it? To the cross of Jesus and it shows us his love, the power of that love. And that love has power to change you and me. And those crosses also come in the form of people who will mock and ridicule us because we will stop at one drink. And stay sober at a party. Because you will save your virginity for your future spouse. Because you will call sin, sin. And you will say that Jesus is the only solution to it. And they will want you to let go of Jesus and his word and his love. But if we let go of that, we let go of our future, don't we? The greatest gift that we have is the gift of forgiveness and peace that Jesus has given us. And nothing else compares. The word and power of God is the only thing that is going to allow us to take up our cross and follow Jesus daily throughout our lives. Only seeing Jesus as a messenger of God Only seeing Jesus as a good example for us to follow will leave us where Gladys was before last week afraid and doubtful of God's acceptance. But when we see Jesus, the Messiah, taking up his cross, wiping out our sin, rising from the dead, and conquering death itself, then we have the certainty, then we have the confidence that heaven is ours, come what may. And when we see that, then our lives are transformed just as Peter's was. Peter told Jesus, this can't happen to you. And he was called Satan. But Peter was led to embrace Jesus' cross, Jesus' cross for himself. And that, in turn, led him to embrace his own cross very literally. For church history tells us that Peter also was crucified for preaching and confessing Jesus as his Savior, and he would not give up Jesus to spare his own life here. Because if he decided to spare his life here, he would lose his life in eternity. But by losing his life here for Jesus' sake... He gained it for eternity. He held on to the gift that Jesus had won for him. Brothers and sisters, Gladys and Peter came to know Jesus clearly. They got to truly know him, and it made a difference in their lives. You know Jesus too, don't you? You know him and his cross. You know the peace that it gives. And so may we, by the power that it provides, gladly and cheerfully take up our crosses and follow him. Amen.